The sermon this afternoon is on what the Word of God teaches us concerning the communion of saints as we confess it in our creeds. We have a summary of this teaching in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 21, specifically question and answer 55. So we'll focus our attention on question and answer 55. We'll read that together now. This is on page 535 in the back of the Book of Praise. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use His gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. So far, the reading from the Confession of the Church. After the sermon, we'll sing in response to the proclamation of the gospel, hymn 40, stanzas 1, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The passage that just a moment ago we read from Ephesians 4, it describes for us how our Lord Jesus Christ is building His church by His own power and in His perfect way according to His design We read there at the beginning of of the passage, Ephesians 4, verse 11, it was He, that is Christ, it was He who gave the apostles, the prophets, the pastors and teachers, etc., each with certain gifts and certain tasks for a certain reason. He gave these things, these, these servants of the church, so that His body, the church, would grow up in maturity, growing up into Him who is our head. And there's a little phrase, I drew your attention to it at the beginning of our reading there. There's a little phrase at the end of this passage that describes one of the things that must be true for the body to be building itself up in love. And that phrase is this, when each part is working properly. When each part of the body is working properly. That last verse goes like this, from whom, so that's Christ, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, in the context of of that passage, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, this is what that means. It means that Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ, the Son of God Himself, He's building His body according to His design. He's acting as as the master builder or designer. Uh, In other places in Scripture, the Apostle Paul uses the imagery of of a building under construction. He, uh, he, He uses the imagery of a temple to describe how all of us fit together in order to to form the church of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ himself is the architect. He's the master builder. So all of this that is happening in the life of the church, this is according to the plan of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus has determined how the whole of his body from the beginning of the world to its end, how it must function, but he's also determined how each congregation ought to function together. Each congregation can be understood to be a microcosm of the Catholic Church as a whole. This church here in this place, Emmanuel Church, Jesus Christ has determined how you function together and how you fit together. He has in mind, in his design, a certain task, a certain function for every single one of you. This is the design of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we would have read question and answer 54, the first question and answer in Lord's Day 21, we would have confessed there together that what what do we believe about the church? Well, it's the Son of God, it's Jesus Christ, who by his spirit and word, In the unity of the faith, he gathers, defends, and preserves the church. It's Jesus Christ who is doing all of this. Now, if it helps, if it helps, you can think of how a a very complex machine might function. How how does it work? Think think of something like the engine of a car. I have a, a bunch of mechanics in my own congregation, so it's very easy for them to, to understand this imagery. I don't know if there are mechanics here. I know there are a few gearheads who are mechanically inclined. But for the rest of us who, who maybe aren't so much, at least we know that, that there are things called cars, and in those cars there are things called engines, and in those engines there, there are a lot of parts. There are all different kinds of parts, big ones, little ones, and they all... Uh, work in unison so that the engine runs properly in the church er, and, and the car does what it's supposed to do, right? That's the idea that the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is communicating to the church this afternoon. This church is one church, it's one body, it's, but, but like one machine, Jesus Christ has determined what exactly your role is in that machine so that the machine runs well, so it runs smoothly and so that it it does exactly what it's supposed to do. Now, may it be our prayer and our expectation also that God would give each of us understanding in this regard as each one of us brings his word to bear on our lives as we think about how to function together as brothers and sisters who have been planted in one place for the benefit of one another. Christ has given tasks to each one of you, and he has called each one of you to faithfully carry out those tasks and those duties for the benefit of the whole so that we all grow in maturity, so that we all attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Our activity as as parts of the body, the things that each one of us does, it's meant to be a benefit to the whole. That's something that we just read and confessed in question and answer 55 in Lord's Day uh, 21. So we're going to pause 
there at, in the second half of, of our answer. We read there that, that's, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and the well-being of the other members. So that's the second part of our answer. And our theme for this afternoon emerges from the overall truth that we have here in this passage from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, that the members of Christ are growing together in Him, that the body is growing together from Christ according to the working or the functioning of each part. And so our theme for this afternoon is a member of Christ serves others for Christ. So a member of Christ, so anyone who belongs to Christ, will serve others for Christ. So and as we think about these things, the, the very first thing that we have to be reminded of, and, and not merely reminded of, but it's something that, that we have to hold as, as this firm truth upon which we, we build all of this, we have to consider, or when we consider how we serve one another, the question we want to ask is, what's motivating us to do this? Why? Why are we doing this? Why are we compelled to serve each other? Why are we compelled to, to treat each other in, in, a, in a Christian manner? What is driving our hearts to, to do this in a certain way? Is it only out of a sense of duty? You know, we read this somewhere in the Bible that we're supposed to serve each other, we're supposed to love each other, and so... Well, we know that it's the right thing to do, and so we sort of have to gather ourselves and begrudgingly treat each other a certain way, even when we don't really feel like it, or, or when we uh, you know, would really rather do uh, something else, or act a certain way toward each other, when we'd rather focus on, on something else. Well, the reason that we act a certain way toward each other, the reason that we have something called the communion of saints is because of our communion with Christ. That's how question and answer 55 begins. It's the first part of what the communion of saints means. We confess, first of all, with the communion of saints, number one, we have communion with Christ. And because we have communion with Christ, now we have a certain kind of relationship toward each other. Okay, that's the picture that is painted for us in Romans 12. We read from Romans chapter 12 a little bit earlier, and this is how it starts. I actually have it quoted here in the NIV, which, which starts with therefore. In the ESV, it didn't start with therefore. It says, I urge you, brothers, therefore. In the NIV, it starts with therefore. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So, offer your bodies willingly, gladly, very freely, so not at all begrudgingly. Offer your bodies so the work, the service that you can do with them, offer them as sacrifices of thankfulness. This is your worship. This is how you glorify God. This is how you live with Him. This is how you show that you love God for what He has done for you. Right? That all makes sense. That all makes sense when we think of 
everything that has come before Romans 12 in the letter that Paul has written. Verse 1 starts with, I urge you, therefore, so he's building on something else that came before, since you have been taught everything that came before, because of all of that, therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So the Apostle Paul, up to this point, so for 11 chapters of Romans, he has been teaching about the astonishing nature of our communion with Jesus Christ. Something that we have because of the salvation that has come only through his work. The Apostle Paul there, in those 11 chapters, he has shown how we absolutely deserve nothing Nothing like the mercy that God has shown to all of us. He's shown it to us ridiculous, wretched sinners who only deserve to be thrown away from God because of our corruption. He's taught us the reality of our sin, how we're completely dead in our sins, we're helpless, we're hopeless. He's shown us the miracle of our salvation. How can it be that we're acceptable to God? How can it be that, that God would ever look at us as acceptable and righteous? He's shown us how that has happened. He has, has exhorted us and encouraged us through the realities of our present struggles with sin, our struggles with pain, our struggles with every hardship that we encounter on this side of glory has shown us how by the power of Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit, He carries us through these things and we can conquer these things in the power of Jesus Christ. He sort of grabbed you by the head and turned you in the midst of your trials and tribulations to see the glory that is waiting, the glory that is being prepared for you. And He's reminded you of the steadfast, unmoving nature of God's promises for you. He's guaranteed these things for you. And that whole section, 11 chapters of doctrine, this is how you are saved. He ended all of that with this wonderful doxology at the end of chapter 11. This is our heart's response to the wonder of salvation. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways it's so amazing what has just been taught to us. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God. If you know the truth about your salvation, if you know the length and the depth and the power of the love of God that He has shown you, if you even understand a sliver of it, then this is your response. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. Wow! This is incredible. And if you find yourself not responding like this, 
If this isn't your response, if your heart is not exploding with thanksgiving because of all of that, if you're not compelled unstoppably by love for God for what He has done, well, then you haven't learned the gospel as deeply as you must learn the gospel. Because if you know, if you know the mercy that has been shown to you, if you actually can conceive of the mercy and love that God has shown to you, then this is your response. In view of God's mercy for you, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And then Paul works out for us what that, what that looks like. Many members, many fun- functions, many gifts, one body. And, and, so, and this too is how question and answer 55 finishes, right? Because we are united to Christ through this miracle that God has done, this miracle of His love and His mercy. Because of that, now this is what we are by our new nature. Everyone is duty-bound. Since we have communion with Christ, now everyone is duty-bound to use His gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members the mercy that God has shown me, how could I not just give myself to everyone now? The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, verses 4 and following, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. We do this cheerfully cheerfully and eagerly. Why? Because of how undeserving we know we are. If we're proud, if we're thinking way too much of ourselves, if we're feeling entitled to someone else's service, that they're here to serve me and benefit me instead of the other way around, well then, we haven't quite understood our own helplessness and worthlessness before Christ. No, says Jesus, be servants of one another. He says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. There's no one more important than Him. And He says, even the Son of Man came not to, serve, not to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10, 42 to 45. We also read in 1 Corinthians 12 about how 
every single one of you, and I don't mean, you know, most of you, no, every single one of you is of vital importance to the rest of the body. No member here is more important than another member. Each is critical to the well-being of the body as a whole. You know, some of you are our eyes. Some of you are ears. There's an appendix over here. There's an eyebrow over there. Are any more important than another? No. Every single one is vital. We can go back to the illustration of, of a car engine. Right, so, so, so many different parts. You know, big ones, small ones. Some are very expensive uh, and some not so much. You know, a, a finely tuned, finely machined racing crankshaft, you know, can cost you a couple thousand dollars, right? It's very important. Whoa, this crankshaft is very important. But how often does it happen that an engine seizes up and fails terribly and is catastrophically damaged? And what was the cause? No, it wasn't the $2,000 crankshaft. It was a 50-cent O-ring, wasn't it? A little seal or something. Every single part is vital and every single part must be functioning according to the design and the purpose that has been given to it. We have elders and deacons here who have certain tasks. We have members here who right now are serving in, in the nursery. We have people making sure that the sound system is working properly. We have people who are very busy all the time in the congregation, uh, you know, showing acts of love and service, visiting each other, sending cards, making phone calls, things that, that most of you never even hear about. Is one more important than the other? No. No. That's what Paul says. That's what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. Every single member is vital. Even all of you little children, tiny little children, you've all been given extremely important jobs here in the church. Even Haley there has a very important job. She's a member of this congregation, and we've all just witnessed her baptism, her incorporation into the body of Christ. And the Lord has given her a task. She doesn't know what that is, but she'll grow into that task along with the rest of her sisters here, the rest of all of you young children. You are as important to Emmanuel, you children, as elders and deacons. You're as important as the minister of this church. Your job is to praise God. Your job is to know God, to learn Him, to become familiar with Him and love Him. And this is, when you do this, this is a great blessing to the rest of the body. When you sing, and I could hear so many of you children just a little while ago singing hymn one, singing the Apostles' Creed. That's one of the first songs that some of the youngest children learn to sing. And 
And boy, you can really hear it and, and how it moves the heart of the rest of the congregation to hear the kids praising God and, and professing what they know and believe to be true. What a blessing. When we can see you learning the gospel, when your faith is, is, is so strong and unwavering that, you, that your faith is an example for how, for how our faith should be, you are a blessing to the body of Christ. You are playing a vital and irreplaceable role in this church, in this congregation. That's you children. It's a big job. All of you have distinct gifts from Christ. Each of you have, have distinct tasks from Christ for, for this church, for the Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church. So then... Your Lord Jesus Christ has given you now the task to prayerfully discern what that is. What tasks has He given you? What gifts has He given you? In view of God's mercy that He has shown to you, how do you follow your Lord Jesus Christ as He served and rely on, on His power for this? So now I want to focus finally just on one last practical outworking of, of all of this. We serve the body of Christ eagerly, willingly, gladly, full of thankfulness because of the mercy, in view of God's mercy, the mercy that He has shown to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. One of the ways that God requires us to, to display our thankfulness right? He, he, he says, I want you to show your thankfulness in, in these certain ways, right? He tests our hearts with his command to give back to him, to give thank offerings, to give of, of the abundance that he has given to you. As we, as we consider that, we're reminded, first of all, that, that Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, so there's nothing in this world that does not belong to the Lord. It's His world. He created it. It all belongs to Him. And so we have to acknowledge, acknowledge very seriously that the blessings that God has, has given us, the things that He has filled our lives with, the things that we are allowed to call our possessions, they're not ours. They're His. They belong to Him. And He has simply made you a steward a caretaker of those things for a little while. It's like the, the parable of the talents where there's this master and he has three different servants and he gives uh, one servant one talent of, of gold or silver and he gives another uh, uh, five talents and he gives another ten. Now, those that money does not belong to those servants. No, it still belongs to the master, but he entrusts it to them makes them a caretaker over it, and he commands them and expects them to work faithfully with the things that he has given them and then return it back to him, right? It's the same with whatever God has, has given every single one of you. Not only spiritual gifts, 
not only spiritual blessings and abilities, but also the material things that He has entrusted you with for a little while. And we have to realize that our willingness, our willingness to give thank offerings to God out of the abundance that He has given to us, our willingness or lack of willingness is indicative of the thankfulness that we have toward God for the mercy that He has shown to us. So when we consider how to give, when we consider how to support the work of the, of, of the kingdom of Christ, it cannot be merely about, you know, for example, keeping an eye on whether the church budget is being met. You know, oh, if you see we're a little bit short, okay, now it's probably time to pony up a little bit and, 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 and make sure that the church is doing okay financially. That cannot, that cannot be the motivation behind our faithful giving to the Lord. Now, of course, that, that, that those are practical considerations, and there are many other practical considerations that you can use to, to prayerfully and, and wisely determine, you know, when and, and, and how much to, to give to, for, the, for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ, and that includes the, the work of the local church, that includes uh, mission work, work of the deacons, uh, acts of, of mercy, those considerations may never be the cause of our giving. The cause of our thank offerings must always be in view of God's mercy, in view of the mercy that has been shown to you. Your act of giving to the Lord is rooted in whether or not you are actually mindful of your salvation, whether or not you are actually thankful for what God has given you, And how important the advancement of the gospel is in your heart compared to whatever else you would have used those resources for. And that's the same as regards your, your service of others, your acts of love, your acts of help and support, your willingness to support the advancement of the gospel so that others may hear the gospel too. All of this springs out of, of wonder and amazement that you have been shown the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, His paths beyond tracing. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.